Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at ArmorAll.com. ArmorAll, less work, more clean. Terms apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a world. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. It's the Autosport Podcast. We review the fourth and final day of F1 preseason testing from Barcelona with the help of Gary Anderson. Formula One's first pre-season test is over. We've had four days of running at the Circuit de Catalunya near Barcelona and we've got a reasonable picture of where things might stand halfway through pre-season testing. I'm your host, Ed Straw, and joining me is Gary Anderson to review the final day of the test and in fact give a bit of an overview of what he's learned from the, the test overall. Today, the fastest time was set by Nico Hülkenberg in the runner, a 1 minute 17.393 seconds. That was on the C5 compound, the softest compound, and that gave him the fastest time of the test overall, ahead of Alexander Albin in the Toro Rosso. He used the same tyre compound for a 117.637. So, obviously, it's going to be a, a Renault victory in Toro Rosso behind them in, in uh, Melbourne. But no, it's not going to be like that. They're, they're not the quickest, but uh, still a, a good lap time, certainly from the, uh, from the Renault. We all agree that Ferrari has, for want of a better word, won the first pre-season test, which doesn't mean anything. It didn't take the fastest lap time, but it was the most impressive car. You've been doing some number crunching to try and come up with a, a theoretical optimum lap time for, for each car. So that's normalising for all these factors like tyre compounds, 
what we can estimate and know about the fuel conditions, etc., 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 which puts Ferrari clearly on top. You'll be able to read about that in depth on Autosport in our Plus subscriber area in an article that will be published on Friday morning, which will give Gary's in-depth methodology and how he's how he's worked this out. But we're going to talk a little bit about the headline numbers. So... Yes, a Ferrari, a Ferrari victory in the in the test doesn't count for any points. But if you had to put money on on Melbourne now, it'd have to be Ferrari. I think I'd be I'd be digging deep in my wallet for a Ferrari a little flutter. But yeah, I mean, if you take the headline times, obviously it's different tires, different fuel loads, different all sorts of stuff. And uh, where I've come with my numbers to is looking over the past two years of how the testing evolved and what happened in the first race of the year. Whenever you know in qualifying, everybody's on a low fuel load. So it's all relative to if you got the best out of your car in Melbourne. But looking back and trying to you know, justify the existence of the fuel that I've put into my spreadsheet. But first of all, just taking those headline times, as you said, and then converting them all so they're on the same tyre, the C4 tyre. Because the teams, the teams that use the C5 or the drivers that use the C5 tyre, which is the softest compound, I mean, they are, you're lucky they're a one-lap tyre around uh, Barcelona. So, you know, it's not fair. It's not a, a justifiable tyre. It would never be here as a race tyre. So I think you're better looking at the C4 tyres being the, the soft tyre that will come to Barcelona, if it even comes to Barcelona, because, you know, it's graining quite a bit as well. But that's and we also saw a healthier amount of running on the 4 yes. and the C5 as well, which yeah, helps. So I, think, I think it's right to normalise them around the C4. And as I say, the, the graining will hopefully clear up a bit once the track temperature comes up. You know, summer summer months in Barcelona are a lot warmer than the what it is today although it was a lovely day today so yeah i mean if you take those headline times as you say renault 17393 toro rosso 17637 alfa romeo 17762 and then you convert it all so they're running the c4 tire um ferrari come out doing a 17546 renault 17693 toro rosso a 17937 alfa romeo an 18062 so and back then we get Mercedes at an 18157. So obviously there's differences in fuel loads as well. So I've uh, also looked a bit deeper at that. And as I say, I've, I've applied sort of the offsets that I've, over the last couple of years, been able to work out for how the cars run in, in uh, Melbourne. And um, you end up with Ferrari uh, top of the list. Probably being able to do something like a 16-0, which is a pretty mega time. You, pole position here last year was a 16-1. At the end of winter testing here last year, uh, a 17-1 was the best time. Now, the track's a bit better. The weather's a lot better than last year, all sorts of stuff. So I think I don't think I came here thinking the, team, the teams would do, you know, low 16s. So I'm quite pleased that, you know, after all these bits of numbers and fudge factors and calculations, uh, Ferrari I've got down as a 16-048. Renault next up, 16-361. Now, Renault have made, you know, lots of talk about how their car's a brand new car, everything but the power steering, um, how the engine's better, all that sort of stuff. So I'm expecting Renault to do better. Will they be sitting in the front of the grid with, with Ferrari and Melbourne? I, I doubt it very much, but, you know, because Mercedes are a strong team and they always do hang back a little bit. But Mercedes come third at 16.492. Red Bull next with a 16.615. Uh, then we get Alfa Romeo with a 16.730. Haas with a 17.065, Racing Point with a 17.332, Toro Rosso with a 17.604, McLaren with an 18.265, and Williams with a 19.165. Now, when you were saying about four days testing, um, Williams only got one day plus a, a bit of a blink yesterday. Um, so obviously they've got a lot of work to do, but 
you know, they are sort of 4% off the front at the minute. Um, I don't think they've really run in anger yet because they've been trying to get as much data as possible. So they've got the weekend to look at all that data and try to get the car into its operating window a little bit better. So let's give them next week before we make too much judgment. I think we can uh, we could assume that Mercedes are going to be strong and probably ahead of Renault. But it is interesting. There does seem to be a clear indication that maybe Mercedes are giving away a few tenths to to Ferrari. We talked on yesterday's podcast about one of the possible reasons for that with the front wing rule changes. And I must admit, as time has gone on, that's gone from a from a very a very decent theory to an increasingly compelling argument. In fact, we had a, a chat to Andrew Green, the technical director at Racing Point, earlier today, who said that that's possibly something to do with it. I don't know if you can just give a quick explanation of the uh, thing. Obviously, people have heard it yesterday, but it's it, this could be quite important if it's real. It's have to take a little bit longer to know whether it's a real thing or whether it's just something that will disappear once Mercedes show a bit more, a bit more of their of their hand. But yeah, it's it's interesting. Yeah, well, I mean, if you take the ride heights of these cars, you know, the normal sort of pit lane ride height setup of a conventional car, which I'll call the Mercedes a conventional car is like 20 to 25 millimetres front ride height, depending upon the circuit, and probably 65 to 75 millimetre rear ride height, again, depending upon the circuit. Um, whereas if you take the Red Bull, who was the first to introduce this rake on the car, their front ride height would be 20 to 25 millimetres, and the rear ride height would probably be 110 to 120 millimetres. So basically it raises the rear car a lot, um, and which puts the front wing near the ground, which means that the, the front wing works better in what's called ground effect, in other words, working like a big venturi relative to the ground surface more of the time. But then you run the rear of the car a bit softer, so at low speed you've got the front wing near the ground, and really as the rear of the car goes down because of the downforce, the front of the car goes down a little bit as well because of the downforce, Um, but as the front and rear of the car goes down, the front wing stays almost the same height to the ground. So basically it means that what you have as wing control... um, a ground effect from the wing and wing separation control, you have it fairly constantly. So the, the, that type of um, that type of concept of running the car will give you more front downforce from a front wing because of the ground effect. Um, whereas on the Mercedes, they run the car very flat, so the front wing's higher off the ground, and then they have to run the flaps on the wing, five elements right across the front of the tire to get the front load they need to balance the car. And that gets affected again by the by the fact you're steering the wheels. So it's very easy to lose front downforce whenever you put the steering lock on the car in the middle of a corner. So you end up with this sort of situation where um, you you have two sort of negatives really. Um, because of the steering lock, if it's not working for you, you the car understeers. You put more steering lock on it, the car understeers more. But you you don't you're not using the ground effect, so you have to produce the downforce somehow. Now Mercedes had never done it. Um, Red Bull sort of invented it. The other teams followed Red Bull a bit um, to the extent that over the last couple of years, everybody got sort of their head around what it was doing, really. Um, so if Mercedes have to go that route because of these new regulations, then it's, it's, it's going to be a bit of a task because aerodynamically the car configuration will change quite dramatically. It's not just about putting the rear right head up. Well, that's the thing, isn't it? If you do go to that, right, the whole angle of attack of the car changes doesn't it so that's big aerodynamic revisions they may even have to if they're going to be hitting the ground a bit harder with the front wing but bolster the, the front wing strength the end plate the end plate strength and i remember a few times james allison when we've asked him in the past about going to the higher rake he has said well 
yes, everybody always talks about that because we can see others are doing it, but it would require lots of other aero changes. So it's a, it's a big old task. But it is interesting because they are very much in the minority. They're pretty much the only team that's so conservative on rake. And you've got, you've, there's sort of safety in numbers in terms of being right. What Mercedes does have it has is it has dominated the last five years. Yeah. So they could yet be proved right, but if they if they do that that could uh, that could be massive couldn't it that could allow ferrari to get off to an absolute flyer yeah i mean uh, i have to say that everybody in the pit lane will say mercedes have dominated the last 5 years um and why are they wrong and we're all right but the the regulation have changed all those turning vanes as we call it the furniture in the front wing all that stuff's gone and all that stuff managed the floor around the front tires so you know it, last year's regulations to this year's regulations are very you'd say simple changes. They're not dramatic, but they have a huge influence into the aero structure of the whole car. Um, and also the fact it's not just aerodynamic because, you know, these cars, um, if the rear of the car is very high or higher, then on the straight it's drag. So you have to also get into the suspension and you have to create other things that allow the car to get keep its rake through the sort of fastest corner on the track, but then drop quite dramatically onto another support, support mechanism for going down the straight, so you get rid of the drag. So getting all that to work, it isn't it isn't the job of a um, overnight uh, in the garage with a hacksaw or a or a grinder. You definitely have to go away and think about it, and a hell of a lot of aerodynamic research and mechanical research to make it work properly. No, it's a, it's a tantalising story, isn't it? If that is the case, it could put a very different spin on the season. It's always a danger with regulation changes. Mercedes aced the last much bigger regulation change in 2017, but. We've got a smaller, potentially more modest thing, but it uh, it exposes a potential uh, a potential weakness. Uh, I should say, if anyone can hear any sizzling and, and bleeping in the background, that's uh, that's Scott Mitchell who is out in the kitchen preparing some uh, some food for us. So uh, that explains what's going on there. It's all all in a good cause. We'll we'll let you know on a future podcast how uh, how dinner went. But we've got high hopes. Well, let's look further back. So you have uh, Ferrari, Renault, Mercedes, and then I think fourth was Red Bull, wasn't it? Yes, which yes. is you'd you'd expect Red Bull to be up there. Yeah, I mean, you know, I expect Red Bull to be up there. It's one of those sort of situations where obviously we're, we still don't really know where in the in the lineup the Honda power unit comes. It doesn't um, feel like it's certainly doesn't feel like it's cost them. They feel like they're very much at worst about the same. Yeah, I mean, if you ever go out with a new girlfriend, you're always fairly polite, aren't you? But as <laughs> as, as time goes by, maybe that'll change. Uh, you know, it's ran. It's done a lot of laps. Um, you know, between them and Toro Rosso, they've not had. I've not seen any real dramas. Um, so it's it's doing its job in the car at the moment. I don't know whether they've changed engines overnight or whether they're running them for the tests to get the mileage up and go for reliability, all that sort of stuff. But um, you know, normally we see that over the winter testing or over the season that uh, Red Bull sort of end up being you know point six of a percent or something like that. You know, off the front end and what we're seeing right now is it's 0.7 of a percent from my calculation so it's not it's not far away from uh, from where it was the, the the big thing obviously and it's a there'll be a few smiles in the old french camp is that the Renault were sort of quicker than them um so it's it's there's a battle there for sure of the between Renault and uh, and red bull both because of what how red bull treated Renault, and also because red bull stole Ricciardo away from Renault um, or from uh, Red Bull so I don't think they're bosom buddies and the battle is royal and it has to be has to be said they're they're going to be giving it everything they can to to do Renault to do a good job but obviously Red Bull are are a very strong team 
and the car looks very good on the track. So I wouldn't have been able to turn around and say, well, you know, the car's got a deficit. So the, the indication to me has to be that it's still in the, the gearbox, the spacer between the monocoque and the gearbox that's maybe got a little bit of a deficit. And again, Toro Rosso is down there um, in eighth, eighth position in my calculation. So that's the other Honda engine to car. But, uh, you know, it's still... I know it's not very far to the first race. What is it now? Four weeks or something. Um that is a lifetime in Formula One, so there's a lot of work going to be done between now and then. And the Red Bull, as you mentioned on track, does look good. We watched at various places around the track today. We watched at the chicane, and we saw it was taking the, the curbs with Pierre Gasly at the wheel beautifully. Bumped over the curbs, fine. No, that's contrast to some of the other cars. The Ferrari was taking the curbs really well, but then you saw, say, the Talbot was 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 reacting more, and uh, the, the um, McLaren as well. So. Everywhere the Red Bull does look really good. It's a bit similar story, really. The Ferrari and the Red Bull look really, really good on track. The Merck still looks decent yeah. as well. The Ferrari and Red Bull look really, really good on track, no matter what the circumstances. All the time, fast corners, slow corners, whatever, and they can ride the curbs. And you know, the thing about riding the curb is, whenever you come off the curb, is the car needs to land and grip. Uh, whereas, as you say, with, with the uh, Alpha and, and with the McLaren, when they hit the curb at the chicane a little bit harder, the car would land and it would bounce again. And that's usually an indication that the uh, the car's a bit too stiff, because all the uh, all the the impact load has been taken into the tire, and you know the tire you don't have any control over. You don't have you can't play with the damping or anything. It's just a big sponge. So you you have to these cars. You know the first thing you start off with is trying to match the vertical stiffness of the car in line with the tire stiffness. So you go fifty fifty, and that's about the best you can do to be honest. If you have too soft a spring set up, and then make it all the springs. You know, then you're not you're not actually sort of forcing the tire hard enough. You're not putting enough energy into the tire. If you have too stiff a setup, all that stuff, your springs and dampers and everything's a waste of time because everything's been taken in the tire. So you need to get the balance of that right. And um, in getting the balance of that right, the, the car ends up better over the curbs. And as you say, Red Bull and Ferrari, both of them, very good on the, very good on using the curbs. Well, I guess that the really interesting thing is is how how Renault gets on in amongst that. The car didn't look quite so convincing early on in, in testing but it has become much more convincing hasn't it the past couple of days and it's carrying speed through the corners it's doing what the drivers want them to it still looks a little bit back from the top cars but it doesn't look as far back as it as it did early on no uh, at the beginning of the test it, it did look a bit uh, as though they were fighting it a little bit they've got a lot of confidence Renault in, in what they've done I think you know they really do believe they've they've made a step which is important um, and they did end up you know, last season, the sort of fourth best team. So now the big mission is to at least stay the fourth best team and shut the gap down to whoever the top three are. And if Red Bull are in a bit of trouble, well, you know, we're here to take it away. Thank you very much. Well, we'll have a chat about the teams lower down the order in a moment. We'll be back after this. Well, Gary, now we've we've sorted through the, the top cars. Let's look a little bit further down the order. You've got, if we consider Renault to be one of the manufacturer teams and potentially trying to bridge across to the, the top teams, that the front of the the rest of the midfield teams is Alfa Romeo, the renamed Sauber team. That car's looked pretty good. It had a little, few little weaknesses manifesting on track, but the the lap times are reasonably good. So it, it does look like, at worst, Sauber's going to be in the ballpark. Alfa Romeo, I should say, it's taking a bit of a getting used to. It should be in the ballpark of where the Sauber team finished the back end of last year, right near the front of the of the mid pack. Yeah, it it does look you know very strong. Um, the lap times are there, Kimi. 
you know, somebody that I think if you give him the car that he can uh, he can play with and work and drive, then he'll he'll definitely do the job for you. Um, the car, I suppose, as the weeks progressed a little bit, I think the car when when they started to push harder and harder, you know, they've been both drivers have been I suppose you might call it more aggressive. They've been using more curb and bouncing off the curbs a lot more, and the car's not as good over that over that. But you can you can hang on for a lap or two. Um, but I'm going out and watching today as opposed to watching on sort of Monday or Tuesday. The car is moving around a little bit more. You know, once you get to the limit, obviously that's the that's the testing time for everything. So there is a bit more movement in the car. It's not just a, a Sunday afternoon cruise at the minute. There, you know, and that normally points to the fact of just a you know a bit of a lack of downforce. You get, you know you can drive these cars at, you know, initially they're on rails, and then you get to that level where you know, you're starting to let the car move or go fast enough for the car to overcome the the lateral force. And uh, then that's when it starts to show. And that's whenever, you know, the, the high downforce cars um, show up as being just that more solid, that more positive. Um, and it's the uh, the um, Alfa Romeo just hasn't quite done that. That's interesting because going way back, I, uh, way 80s, I, um, I did a little bit of work for Alfa Romeo whenever they were... Uh, doing their stuff and uh, made some suspension bits and built a carbon fibre chassis for them in 1983 and uh, used to do sliding skirts and stuff. So uh, they've got a long memory of Alfa Romeo. Completely different company now, completely different thing, but still, it, um, I suppose you could sort of say it, it happened. <laughs> well, it's uh, it's one of those, that's one of the things that you did in your career that's uh, maybe not so well known, so it's, uh, it's a good little uh, note to to, uh, to add. You've certainly been involved in... Uh, <laughs> In uh, in a few things over the years, uh, who do you have next up in fifth place? I had, and that was Alfa Romeo was in fifth place. Ah, fifth place, I can't uh, and then Haas, Haas uh, followed by um, Racing Point. Haas, I mean, the car looks very good on the track. Uh, to say it looks, it looks. Whereas you see the the Alfa moving around a little bit, you see the Haas is, is sort of planted. You know, it's, it's definitely got. It's a confidence inspiring car. It's very last year, isn't it? And I mean, that's a positive because yeah, it was like yeah. that last year. So, you know, where are they really and truthfully? Are they a little bit better than what the, than what I'm showing them here? It it, it could be, and Grosjean and Magnussen are, are no slouches by any means. So, again, if, uh, if they can, they've had a few reliability problems, they need to pull that together. But I, I think, you know, they'll be, they'll be in there somewhere. Um, as I say, whether Alpha's better than them or whether it's vice versa, it'll be Melbourne before we know. Well, it's been very close in the midfield last year, and it might even be closer this year. So you'd expect Haas and and then Racing Point. I think uh, were, were behind them to to be in the mix for that front of the midfield. It's going to be very tight, isn't it? It is going to be very tight. Racing Point, you know, they've you know they've been through the the doldrums last year with the company going into liquidation uh, as Force India and then being bought over. And to be honest, as, as Andrew Green was saying today, it was sort of September before they could see over the the, the parapet. Um, which is why they've ended up having to make a design decision to go with the the eighteen gearbox and rear suspension because they, they didn't know early enough that they were going to have these uh, improved circumstances. Yeah, everything has an influence further downstream. Really. So that, I mean, that's a good decision. There was probably nothing really wrong with it. I mean, similar to what Toro Rosso have got, which is the eighteen Red Bull box and and rear suspension parts. Yes, as an engineering challenge, you obviously want to you know do a new gearbox package, um, which includes the rear suspension, but you know, Force India, or as they were, and now Racing Point do use the Mercedes gearbox. So they're getting a unit that has the suspension pickups on it, uh, and they did their own, own suspension for it. So uh, 
it's always nice to have the opportunity to try to do something nicer. But if you don't have, if you can't plan it, then it's better to drop something as big as that and say, let's just go with this one and uh, that'll be okay. Yeah, sensible move. And that's a team that has a history of making some very, very sensible decisions. So I'm sure as the season goes on, we'll see, we'll see them making some big improvements as we have done in the past. So how about the stragglers? Bottom three now, are we in? Yeah, the bottom three. I mean, we've got Toro Rosso down there again with Honda. Um, you know, they've got Danny Kvyat and um, Al- Albon. Yeah, Alexander Albon. Yeah, yeah. Um, Albon's brand new in it, and actually to see him be fastest um, today for quite a while, I mean, overtaken by Hulkenberg was you know it doesn't matter whether the field loads high, low, or whatever. He still got out there and wring its neck, um, and he did that very well. So Danny Kvyat wants to prove himself after. Being fired by Red by uh, Red Bull and then spending a year on the on the Ferrari simulator, so they've got two. It looks like two competent drivers. Uh, the team has changed a little bit in the fact that uh, James Key isn't there anymore as technical director, and they decided not to have a technical director. They'd work sort of under the umbrella more of Red Bull and use more Red Bull bits and <laughs> bits and um, and basically, you know, concentrate on their side of the car. Interestingly, the car is actually quite different from Red Bull. So, um, yeah, when the two of them join up a little bit more, I think it'll be quite interesting because uh, Toro Rosso have more of a Ferrari-style front wing and Red, Red Bull have more of a Mercedes-style front wing. So they're the two teams that probably will communicate best as to which is doing what. And uh, we'll see who changes, alters their direction between those two. But if you look at it, to be honest, they're where I think they should be. You know, for the size of them, they're all that stuff. Um, there, maybe they can be a you know a fraction higher or something. But I, I, you know, it's very competitive in that in that bunch. So, I think they're probably just about where they where they would sort of come out in, in relative terms. And, then and we've got some famous names behind down that. the bottom. Yeah, I mean McLaren. You know, they. Um, I think you could say the first couple of days they performed to deceive. Uh, they were the only team that sort of ran the 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 uh, C4 tire um and in doing so to be honest watching from the outside they did it um fairly blatantly that they were trying to do a lap time whether it had 5 kilograms of fuel on it or 10 or 15 it's very you know for that little bit you don't know but uh at the end of the day it was important for uh, for Lando Norris to do that because he needs to learn about how to use qualifying tires. Not so important for Carlos Sainz to do that, but um, they did it, and they end up, you know. And if you do all the all the all the sums, um, they're down there in, in ninth position. Now, the car doesn't look bad on the track, but the rear's a bit nervous. You know, the, the one car you'd probably say that. Whereas we talk about the the Alpha moving around a little bit, it's the whole car that's moving around a little bit. With the uh, Toro Rosso, the same thing. The, the whole car that's moving around a little bit, like it's that—that's the grip level. Whereas with the McLaren, it's just the rear ends, just com- getting confidence in the rear ends, just seems to be not quite there yet. Which is a trait of the car last year. Although I have to add, the rear end instability not not as bad as it was at this time yeah, last yeah. year. No, it's nowhere near as bad. But it's it's um, you know, as you say, you push the car to the limit, and then suddenly something pops up on you that's your problem, and you have to go in and try and fix it. So. They'll have again, got lots and lots of data. Um, they've done lots and lots of running, um, fuel loads up, down, round and round. And so I'm surprised they're down there. Um, but as I say, they, they, they made a big effort to, to do something on day one and day two. And at the end of the day, 
you know, as other people try to do the same thing, then you, you realise where you are. And then we've got Williams. Now, Williams... Well, I guess we have to put an asterisk against Williams because I was just looking at the the distance covered. Williams managed 88 laps, 409 kilometres, after missing the first two and a half days. Obviously, Mercedes led the way with 610 laps, 2,839 kilometres. So there's big caveats against any pace estimation, but there certainly are in some difficulty, we could say. Yeah. I mean, you take that relatively, that'll take you to the south of France and back again from England, uh, from Mercedes, and, uh, well, the other one might not even take it to Scotland. But, you know, every mile you do, you learn something. Every lap you do, you'll learn something. Every run out of the pits you do, you can have a little bit of a different setup on it and you'll, you'll find something out. <coughs> you find something out about the car. But, as I say, we've got to take a question mark beside it because, you know, they, they haven't had the running. Um, I think when you look at it in general, you know, when, when most of these cars hit the track, they were able to get into the sort of the 21s easy, very quickly, and then into the 20s easily and very quickly. Um, and that was like in the first morning of first the first day running. Okay, the Ferrari went on and did a, I think it was an 18-1 Vettel did on the first day. Um, Williams, they fought the battle to get to 20.99, but you know, in a day and a bit. Um, but, uh, you know, obviously they're, you know, they know what they're trying to do. They, they they did have, today they spent quite a bit of time with aero rakes on the car behind the front wheels. Is this something they're not satisfied with there? Or is this something that they're um, just trying to research and, and make sure they've got the right sort of direction going? For, um, Force India, I keep saying. Racing Point, we're doing the same quite a bit. And we've also saw a bit from Red Bull, doing the same thing it's it's very seldom you see that sort of stuff being put on midday or you know even during the day sorry and going out because it's such a, a time-consuming thing to put all that those garden gates on with all their pito tubes in them um so you, you don't normally see that unless something isn't sort of making sense and you want to go and get the data to to try and analyze it because these those rakes they've got huge amount of pito tubes little things that are measuring the airspeed uh, and the air direction and basically you know all that data is gathered in a little box, and you can put it into a, a, a sort of model, and it just within seconds it just gives you a, a profile of the airflow um, going around the track, so you can see how the steering is affecting the downforce or whatever. So it's just very modern stuff. We used to use a big wool tuft on a on a stick. Um, so yeah, different world. <laughs> yeah, very, very much so. Just to interrupt myself, a small error that came to light just after we recorded this. We actually, for those numbers we gave, had the incorrect tyre for the Haas fastest lap, which is a 1 minute 18.563 actually on C3 tyres. Makes a small difference to our adjusted times. Actually brings the Haas more in line to where we felt it was, moving it up the order. So now the correct order is Ferrari, Renault, Mercedes, 1, 2, 3 as before. Then Haas moves up to fourth place at 1 minute 16.565. Then that pushes Red Bull to fifth. Alfa Romeo, Racing Point, Toro Rosso, McLaren, Williams. Changes the numbers a bit, but more in line with what we said. So actually, we're we're kind of happier that it lines up. Thought we'd just let you know. Well, that's given us a bit of a competitive order. What else have we learned? I guess we've seen that the performance loss from the cars isn't isn't particularly big. They're certainly most cars seem to be ahead of where they were at this stage last year, and either at or not far off matching where they finished last season, despite the the rule changes. We've seen the tyres 
being very durable. So we're thinking, well, there's this sort of one-stop territory, which is in keeping with them, allowing drivers to push. So we've got a little bit of a feel for what the season's going to be. We're back into this ferocious development war, maybe focused a little bit more on the, the bargeboard area, which is ever more important. So we've got a bit of a feel for the kind of season to expect, haven't we now? Yeah, we have. I mean, I, I think inadvertently the, the regulation changes actually help the cars in general because of this steering characteristic and because the front wing's not there in front of it now doing all that stuff and all that airflow was coming off all those turning vanes that was going around the front wheel, which was called outwash. The minute you turn the steering wheel, you know, it had an effect, whereas now that doesn't really happen. It happens a bit more to, still to the Mercedes probably than the other cars. Um, but I'm sure they'll get on top of that pretty quickly. I think the tyres are a step forward as far as durability is concerned. bit graining here, but I don't think that's going to happen everywhere just because of temperature. Um, but at, at the end of the day, does that bode well for what we want to see? Because, you know, it might head more to one-stop races. Um, so I'm not so sure there. And also the track here is now, last year it was resurfaced, now it's matured. So all those stuff, all that stuff together makes it into a, a package where... Uh, the car, the whole package around Barcelona because of the track conditions is a little bit quicker than last year's cars, um, maybe up to a second. But I'm not sure we'll see that everywhere we go because obviously the tracks won't have changed so much. Um, and I, th- I think that second might just be in the track from last year because it was very new, uh, it was very cold, it snowed one day, you know, just really horrible testing conditions. And here was quite practical. Well, thanks very much for your insight, Gary. We could uh, we could talk for hours about about what we've seen, but the the ever intensive, uh, ever more intensifying, I should say, sizzling from the kitchen suggests we uh, we need to wrap up. But you can read more from Gary on Autosport.com, and also Gary's turned up in many of our videos that we've been producing from this test. So you can find those on Motorsport.tv and also on the Autosport website on the Autosport YouTube channel. And of course, yeah, we will be back for for next week's test with with daily podcasts and updates. Uh, in the meantime, do check out autosport.com. Loads of news from testing up there. You can really get a feel for what's been going on. And there'll be news over the, the coming days in the build up to the next test, which starts on Tuesday. And do check out our plus subscriber area where you can read Gary's verdict, which will be up on Friday morning at some point, where you can really dig into his methodology and see how he's drawn his conclusions. And there's all the rest of the world's best motorsport journalists, uh, as we like to say. Plenty of in-depth coverage of Formula 1 and the whole world of motorsport. And Autosport magazine out every Thursday as well, if you would like to read uh, even more there. Uh, do check out Sister Titles Motorsport News, F1 Racing Magazine out monthly, and motorsport.com. And as I mentioned, yeah, have a look at our, our YouTube channel, motorsport.tv, and the Autosport website for our video content. And if you fancy a flutter, please download the Pitstop Betting app. Thanks for joining us. We'll be back soon with another Autosport podcast. Music is 6am by Trilo. Written by Marcus Simmons. See soundcloud.com forward slash Trilo Music.
Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. For the ones finding new ways to ensure the job always gets done. For the ones wearing many hats. For the ones who are hands-on even from far away, and the ones keeping business moving forward. We are Granger, offering professional-grade industrial supplies, plus real-time product availability and access to experts ready to answer your toughest questions. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Sports Social Podcast Network. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.